Okay. Happy Easter, everybody. Happy Ramadan. And yes, happy Passover. Welcome to the Sunday show of PNN, or Progressive News Network, on Blog Talk Radio. If you're looking for a conservative show, go elsewhere. This is not it. Um, If you saw our advert on this Easter Sunday, the title is GOP of Trump, a hotbed of Nazism and racism. And let me kind of preface this. When I put racism and Nazism or um, racism and neo-Nazism together, that is not a mismatch. What a lot of Americans do not understand, including my own community of American Jews, is that one of the main reasons Hitler decided to try and destroy all the Jews wasn't necessarily just because of our religious differences. It was because of race. If you actually go back to the old Nazi propaganda books, you will see that this was a policy of eugenics, which meant they were going to kill off anyone who was considered undesirable, not white enough, uh, not tall enough, uh, if you were disabled, uh, if you were part of the LGBTQ community, all these people were undesirable. And Jews led the top of the list just as Blacks here lead the top of the list as basically being targets of racism here in the United States. Okay, that's just a historical fact. Just is. Um, So what happened was we were called a mud people. What do you think that means? It means mixed race. We were not considered fully white. So when I compare racism and Nazism and kind of lump them together, it's because they are the same thing. The only difference is that the Germans were probably smarter and much more organized than the inbred Yehus in the Deep South. Okay, I'm just going to go there and say it. I just am. Again, if you don't like it, you can always go somewhere else. And so... This Easter, what kind of set me off here is that, you know, we see Trump going to run again. You know, it's quite obvious. Um, And you see that he's throwing these rallies, and there was a rally, I believe, in Texas, and I did download the actual audio, and it's just filled with racist and neo-Nazi tropes. He's trying to incite, it's obvious. And for those of you, again, in the Orthodox Jewish community that retort, but his daughter is Jewish, his grandkids in that marriage are Jewish. Eh. First of all, Judaism is such on this Passover season that, you know, you can convert to Judaism if you want. However, it cannot be a quid pro quo. In other words, it can't be a business deal. And Ivanka, converting to Judaism, yes, it was a business deal. Kushner wouldn't marry her, they said it themselves, unless she were Jewish. So she converted. And the rabbi that did her conversion is notorious for these quickie society conversions. She should have been turned away because she wasn't sincere. Period. You know, I have some dear friends that are part of the ultra-Orthodox community. And, you know, my classmate married a woman who was not, who was Christian, that is. 
She converted eventually. She is just as Jewish as anyone else, but hers was done out of love and a desire to do so. Ivanka's, to use Trump's um, intellectually challenged childish vocabulary, was fake. It was fake because she only did it to get an end result that she wanted. And according to Judaism, she should have just been turned down. So, you know, if that marriage ever goes belly up, Ivanka's <laughs> not going to stay Jewish, get real. Um, so, you know, can Trump be a neo-Nazi and still have Jewish grandkids? Of course. That doesn't mean anything. If you're looking for some sort of safety there, you're, you're tripping. I'm just going to say it. So let's move into this already. Um, so white supremacy and neo-Nazism have been on the rise. It's part of the conservative mindset. And Trump, in my opinion, has just merely sanctioned and made acceptable to some the open and enthusiastic expression of such ugliness. So today's show will be dedicated to exposing the hate that Donald Trump, a.k.a. the monster of Mar-a-Lago, incites and inspires. Just as. Okay, well, let's move on. Um, Donald Trump has been called out as really an accelerant to violent racism, misogyny, and religious bigotry. He, again, as I said before, he's made open white supremacy and neo-Nazism socially acceptable to many of his followers, which are, in my opinion, pre-described deplorable. In fact, honestly, Hillary was being too kind, calling them out as deplorables. The white supremacy and neo-Nazism on open parade to the GOP is far more evil than the term deplorable would imply. She was being too kind. So we're going to focus on another example we're going to start our show with another example of how the GOP has descended into unethical filth and their use of rhetorical deceit. This is an anti-Semitic tropes. The GOP's use of soft propaganda disguises discussion, etc. And the primary instigator, in other words, the filthy monster of Mar-a-Lago. Just that simple. Let me take a little bit of tea here. Sometimes I have these long pauses because, like President Biden, I'm a stutterer. And in order to avoid that, I take a pause. So just bear with me. And unfortunately, this is, you know, audio, so you can't really see me. Um, so our first story is background to what we're really going to be talking about. Um, just this past week, and it was reported all over by Yahoo, CBS News, you know, Reuters, um, even National Review, there was a Tennessee state senator named Frank Nicely. And this guy really takes ignorance and bigotry to a new low. So in a piece dated April 15th on CBS News, headline is Tennessee state senator Frank Nicely cites Adolf Hitler, Hitler as an example of how homeless people can turn their lives around. And this is by Christopher Brito. And so apparently in Tennessee, there was this bill they were discussing. And this bill would threaten felony penalties against homeless people that camp on 
public property. And this is documented by CBS News in another article, Homeless Tennessee Legislation, Felony Penalties for Camping. So Nicely decided that he was going to give his colleagues a, a, what he called a history lesson. Too bad he didn't learn any history. But again, um, the GOP has uh, never had a problem, you know, with unbridled ignorance. In fact, they openly embrace it because when you're a con artist, you need ignorant people because they feed your, you know, your way. They feel your path to power. So during his speech, Nicely offered his Senate colleagues this history lesson, and he used Hitler as an example of a former homeless person who turned their life around, to quote him. And I'm going to try and use a Tennessee accent. Um, Normally I wouldn't mock people because of their accents, but because I really dislike these, let's say this guy's, in my opinion, a confederate. Yeah, I'm going to mock him. Here we go. Frank Nicely. In 1910, Hitler decided to live on the streets for a while. So for two years, Hitler lived on the streets and practiced his oratory and his body language and how to connect with the masses, and then went on to lead a life that got, that got him into history books, end quote. And nicely went on to say that it wasn't a dead end for people in Tennessee who are homeless. He went on to say, quote, they can come out of this these homeless camps, and have a productive life. And then he turned around and said, or in Hitler's case, a very unproductive life. So he realized his faux pas, and he decided to try and backtrack it a little bit. It was too late. So, um, again, CBS News, which is corporate, hardly a bastion of liberal thought, uh, CBS News did contact Nicely's office for additional clarification, what Nicely meant. They gave him an opportunity to clarify things. Translation, they gave a Republican an opportunity to backpedal. Um, they attempted to contact him um, via email and phone. They didn't receive the response. Keep in mind, the comments drew criticism. Um, Tennessee State Representative Gloria Johnson, who's a Democrat, tweeted a video and said that she's going to, quote, have to apologize to the universe for this guy. Now, this is not the first time that state Senator Frank Nicely has made ignorant and bigoted comments, comments that indicate his admiration for racists and Nazis, okay? In fact, um, he had a past remark about the Civil War. Uh, Just last year, he gave a speech, as documented by the and Holler, the Tennessee Holler, where uh, Nicely said the Civil War was still going on and, quote, we're winning, end quote. I'll say one thing. I agree. The Civil War never truly ended. It just morphed into something else. Instead of um, having slavery, slavery, it morphed into the era of Jim Crow and voter suppression and legalized lynch mobs in the form of police. But it was still the Civil War. So on that, he's right. It's just that they shouldn't win. The Confederacy was a stain upon the very idea of democracy. And I I hear people, even here in the Midwest, claim that, well, you know, this is their Confederate um, heritage. 
the governor of Mississippi declared, uh, made a bill, declared um, that April was Confederacy Month, something like that, honoring the Confederacy, the Confederate heritage. Not, it shouldn't be honored. You know, the, I was taught in high school that the Civil War was really, the main cause was about taxation, the idea that uh, the North resented paying higher taxes than the South did. Yeah, and, and yes, the North did complain about that. That's true. Um, the North had additional cost of manufacture because they, they weren't slave states. But the fact is the main reason for the Civil War was slavery. And slavery was big business. I mean, these plantations, which are just basically big farms, they made so much money for that day, for that time period in history, these plantation owners were like the equivalent, the large plantations, that is, were like the equivalent of a Jeff Bezos or an Elon Musk. Slavery was big business, big business. And the fact that they built this, this justification for slavery, built on racism, built on denigrating fellow human beings. Again, the Confederacy should never be honored, ever. And people that argue it's part of their heritage, perhaps, but it doesn't deserve a place of honor at all. And if you think that it's an equivalent, you're wrong. You know? Um, if you don't like what I'm saying, go listen to Fox. Go listen to the liars and brain dead morons like Tucker Carlson and the others. So this legislation in Tennessee where Frank Nicely, you know, basically appeared to admire how Hitler pulled himself up by his bootstraps. The legislation, first of all, it criminalizes poor people for being poor. They're camping on public lands. They have nowhere else to go. And this, there, there's three chances, but on the third strike where you get picked up, this legislation threatens felony penalties on that third strike. And the felony provides for a up to six years in prison. Make it worse. Tennessee, like many other states, um, revokes the voting rights of convicted felons. Okay? Think about that for a minute. They revoke the voting rights of convicted felons. There's something very evil about that idea. Show me where in the Constitution there's justification for that. I'd like to see it. I don't see it. Where is it? Okay, folks, I'm going to have to take a few minutes for a break. I will be right back.
Okay, thank you very much. Um, a little temporary emergency here I had to take care of a few seconds ago. All right, let's get back to this. Keep in mind, this broadcast is live, all right? It's coming from my own home. Um, so kind of bear with me. All right, so again, Tennessee, like many states, strips convicted felons of their right to vote permanently. Um, I would like to see uh, these originalists show me where in the Constitution it allows for people to be disenfranchised because they served a felony sentence. What does one have to do with the other? I'm sure it's unconstitutional. But that's what we're dealing with, and Frank nicely just was like the poster boy for stupid Republican bigots. Criminalizing poor homeless people wasn't enough for the GOP of Trump and their heartlessness. They had to demand the right to incarcerate people for being poor and then strip them of their future right to vote. All I can say is how very neo-Nazi of them. So now, those of you think, well, he's just an outlier, right? The GOP in total isn't really like that. Well, here's it, it is like that. Uh, back in 2020, in Mother Jones, there was an article written by journalist David Korn right before the election. And, excuse me, and um, it, the, the headline is, quote, the Republican Party is racist and soulless, just ask this veteran GOP strategist. The subtitle is, Stuart Stevens says he now realizes the hatred and bigotry of Trumpism were, was always at the heart of the GOP. And I tend to agree with him. So apparently this, this uh, Stuart Stevens uh, worked for Mitt Romney and, you know, was the chief strategist for Romney's 2012 presidential bid. And, you know, David Korn in his article admitted he felt a bit awkward talking to Stevens because Korn had done an expose of the 47% case in 2012, you know, when Romney denigrated almost half of Americans as freeloaders who wanted the government to take care of them. Um, Stevens, according to David Korn, was gracious, um, and this time wasn't any different. So one of the first things that David Korn asked Stuart Stevens, a lifelong Republican up till now, you know, high operative, he was asked if the Republican Party during the Trump years had become, you know, an outfit free of governing ideas, and Stevens went further and said, quote, it was all a lie. And then he talked about it in his book that was released in 2020 by Stevens titled, It Was All a Lie, How the Republican Party Became Donald Trump. Stevens went on to say, the modern GOP never really cared about the ideas it claimed to care about. Um, Stevens went on to say, quote, the Republican Party has been a cartel, end quote, as in criminal cartel. Stevens went on to say, and no one asked a cartel, what's your ideological purpose? You don't ask OPEC, what's your ideology? You don't ask a drug gang, what's your program? 
Republicans exist for the pursuit of power for no purpose. I'll say that again. The Republicans exist for the pursuit of power for no purpose, end quote. Now, Stevens apparently, you know, was troubled by this racist element in the GOP. And up till the Trump years, he viewed that as kind of a, according to Corn, quote, a bug in the system. But he now, as of 2020, realized that it had been a main feature of the GOP, baked right in. Um, and, excuse me, my little emergency I had was a temporary filling team out. I had to put a little something in it. It just feels weird in my mouth, so let me get back to this. So, um, you know, while I'm glad that this former Republican finally had his, his epiphany, this is something all of us in minority communities always knew. We didn't bother to speak it out loud because the people of the Republican Party didn't want to hear it. It would be as fruitful as talking to a wall and expecting a response from a dumb, inanimate object, which when you think about it, the Republican Party is loaded with stupid, inanimate objects. All right. So Stevens went on to help with the Republican Party. They had just drifted from core positions. Okay? To quote Stevens, quote, fair trade, balanced budgets, character, family values, standing up to foreign adversaries like Russia, we're all against that now. You have to ask, does someone abandon deeply held beliefs in three or four years? No. It means you didn't ever hold them. He said, I feel like a guy who was working for Bernie Madoff, you know, the criminal. So Stevens apparently once really deeply believed in the GOP. But now he realizes it's just a big con. And his book speaks it, all right? In fact, the first line of Stevens' book is, quote, I have no one to blame but myself, end quote. And then Stevens goes on to call himself a fool for his decades of believing, you know, and, and really essentially lying to himself that the GOP actually had a core set of beliefs and values. They don't. Uh, Stevens wrote, quote, so yes, blame me. Blame me when you look around and see a dysfunctional political system and a Republican Party that has gone insane. And the book goes on to say that Stevens had one prescription for the GOP, quote, burn it to the ground and start over. That's what he said. Um, apparently, Stevens rejected the common view that Trump had somehow mysteriously hijacked the GOP. He, in fact, he said that, you know, the dark side of the GOP had already been there. You know, he cited even William F. Buckley, Jr., who's considered the uh, intellectual father, the, quote, the founding father of the modern conservative, conservative movement. Stephen said Buckley was, quote, a stone-cold racist in the 1950s. Uh, quote, Buckley at the time considered white people more advanced and more fit to govern. Stevens continued, quote, a lot of us in the party like to believe the dark side was a recessive gene, but it's a dominant theme. Now, before some of you start claiming, well, he must have been some sort of, of northerner, liberal. What? No, he wasn't. Uh, Stuart Stevens is a seventh-generation Mississippian. He was named after Confederate General Jeb Stewart. Stevens went on to say, excuse me, about the GOP, quote, and it's all about race. The Republican Party 
is a white party, and there are still more white people than non-white people, end quote. And so then, you know, Corrin goes on to explain, along with Stevens, what happened, like Ronald Reagan. A lot of Republicans love to claim that Ronald Reagan came from Hollywood. He wasn't racist. Uh, yeah, he was. And he used it. Remember when Reagan talked about welfare queens, open the newspaper, so there's lots of jobs there. But there weren't enough jobs for the people needing jobs. Okay? Stevens went on to say that, again, when you're talking about the GOP, GOP that is, Stevens said, quote, we're talking about the Confederacy, literally, end quote. And then Stevens, with no prompting from David Korn, went on to talk about Nazi Germany. Uh, according to Korn, Stevens' quote went straight to the DEFCON 1 analogy. To quote Stevens, quote, I tell my GOP friends it's crazy to say it's 1934 in Germany when it's clearly 1936. And end quote. And Stevens really was saying that, you know, the 30s were really important for understanding the virulent racism that's going on now, okay? To quote Stevens, when there was rising anti-Semitism, isolationism, and pro-Nazi sentiment, why did the U.S. not become fascist? Because of FDR, leaders matter, and the GOP has now completely abdicated its role. And he goes on to say, they've just given in to the racists because that's the way they can gain power. To quote Stevens once again, um, quote, they are the Trump generation. It's how they will be remembered like the segregationists of old. Okay? Stevens goes on to say Trump's rise wasn't a fluke. Just wasn't. It was a built-in feature. To quote Stevens once again, this is the complete moral collapse of a governing party of a major superpower. And then, you know, he wonders himself how he, how he just couldn't see the racism and Nazism of the GOP and really moral turpitude that he just couldn't see. To quote Stevens, to quote, Stevens, quote, it is hard to see this when you're in the middle of it. The only analogy I can find is the collapse of the Communist Party in the Soviet Union when the difference between reality and what is believed became so disjointed. I should have seen this. I did see this, but I wanted to believe the crazies were a minority. Stevens did concede that if Trump hadn't come along, he himself might not have really come to this epiphany. He wouldn't have been aware or fully aware of this, what really could be called the structural immorality of the GOP. To quote him again, the Republican Party was, quote, a comfortable place for a lot of us. If Trump had lost, I'd probably still be working for a Republican candidate. But, but Trump made it impossible to deny what the party is. I just don't get why these Republican senators don't stand up to him. What's the worst thing? You'll be an ex-senator? They are the Trump generation. It's how they will be remembered like the segregationists of old. Um, and then he really talked about, you know, how that these other candidates, including, I'll say, someone like Ron DeSantis, 
learned a lesson from Trump. Because Trump won on literally nothing. I mean, let's face facts. He just dealt out a lot of racist tropes, a lot of stupid, um, what do you call it, brain-dead jokes, you know, worthy of only maybe a 14-year-old boy. And he got elevated, period. He had a, a lot of free media because of The Apprentice. And so, once again, people like Ron DeSantis realize they don't really need to produce results. They don't need to have a plan. All they need is the ability to attack and exploit fears, divisions, tribalism, and resentments, according to Corn. end quote. Stevens explains, quote, Elizabeth Warren can articulate a coherent theory of government. There is no coherent theory of government for Republicans right now. Usually a coherent theory versus an incoherent theory carries the day. It's really incredible how this had happened. Um, and then he went on to say, it is tough to come to terms with all this. If we say we believe in personal responsibility, you have to take personal responsibility and start with yourself. We created this. It didn't just happen. End quote. Um, and then Stevens went on to explain that ideas really aren't the currency for the GDOP, but they never truly were. Okay? To end with this, uh, Stevens went on to say, quote, Republicans only exist to elect Republicans. They are down to one idea. How can we win? End quote. I think it's very true. Okay? So that's the second story. The third story, and that story by David Corn was from Mother Jones. Sorry. Take a little tea here again. Sorry about that. When you have a tooth that's bugging you, it's a little difficult. All right, so let's move on. The third story is from Time, Time Magazine. And this was written January 24th, 2022, after January 6th. Um, it was written by Barbara F. Walter. And the headline was, Trump could still lead the U.S. to civil war, even if he doesn't run in 2024. And so Walter, and I think I've discussed this before on this show. I recognize that name. Uh, Barbara Walter is a professor of international relations at the School of Global Policy and Strategy at the University of California, San Diego. I know I've referenced this article before. And she goes in to talk about um, a particular um, type of insider, if you will. Someone who incites um, wars, incites pogroms, genocide. And the academic name for such a person is called an ethnic entrepreneur, which makes it sound legitimate, but it's not. An ethnic entrepreneur, I just consider them political liars and inciters for hire. Okay. The term ethnic entrepreneur was first used in the 90s, and it describes people like Slobodan Milosevic and Franjo Tudjman in what was before Yugoslavia, but they exist all over, okay? And she's basically saying that Donald Trump is one of them, to put bluntly. Um, 
and we're kind of being set up for a civil war because now we're so divided. And to quote from the article, quote, Americans have a lot of, so let me back up a little bit. You know, the first line of this is, quote, ask most people why countries break apart, and many will say that different groups sharing a single country naturally dislike and distrust one another. And then goes on to say, quote, Americans have a lot of stakes. Um, so the question is, so, quote, fundamental ethnic, religious, or racial difference must be the cause of all these conflicts, right? And it goes on to say, Americans have a lot of stake in the answer to this question. Our country has become increasingly divided, with race now playing a central role in debates over policing, immigration, health care, even the teaching of history. Could the country fracture as a result of this polarization? It turns out the differences themselves do not lead to violence. End quote. It's the finding of political scientists that have studied hundreds of these ethnic conflicts globally. Uh, Governor DeSantis, are you listening? So they go on to say, in fact, a lot of ethnic groups can coexist and do coexist peacefully. Um, you know, until 92, Bosnia was a very diverse nation. Croats, so, uh, Serbs, and Bosniaks, they lived together peaceably for decades. They had high educational levels. Intermarriage was common. But 100,000 people died during the Civil War. And I remember in the 90s, I was teaching in an elementary school, and I'd say about 80% of the kids there were from Bosnian refugee families. What is this about? This is about these ethnic entrepreneurs, these insiders. Enter the monster of Mar-a-Lago, the ugly, fat, comb-over, and an even uglier soul, Donald J. Trump. According to Dr. Walter, really for a society to fracture along identity lines, to put it bluntly, she says, quote, you need mouthpieces. Influential people who are willing to make discriminatory appeals and pursue discriminatory policies in the name of a particular group, end quote. And these mouthpieces go on. They provoke fear in, a, in the majority population. They're often politicians, but they can also be uh, business elites, religious leaders, media, whatever. They go on to say that, quote, separate and hostile ethnic and racial identities don't exist in a vacuum. They need to be crafted, and these individuals rise up to do that, end quote. And there's a next quote that's really frightening because I think it's very telling of the moment in history we're living through right now. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> a little tea here. So they go on to say, and I think this describes the Donald, quote, regarding these insiders, these ethnic entrepreneurs, these people that pour, you know, pour gasoline on a tiny fire. Quote, they're often at high risk of losing power, which Trump did, or have recently lost it. Goes on to say, quote, seeing no other routes to securing their futures, they cynically exploit divisions to try to reassert control. End quote. And Trump poses such a danger. He is a danger, um, excuse me, to democracy itself and all the GOP's blessings. Make no mistake about it. So 
these ethnic uh, entrepreneurs, they basically, this is behind um, how so many um, white Christians feel victimized. You know, these are the people that even though they push for clearly racist policies, racist policing, um, and so on and so forth, they're the ones that scream, they're the ones being discriminated against. When they're the ones that are actually helping to sponsor discrimination. And this is about their fear of losing power. You know, the, the great replacement theory that Tucker Carlson loves to talk about is a prime example of this. Their fear of being, quote, outnumbered by this alien other that wants to hurt them. Okay. People like Tucker Carlson, he's a perfect example of an ethnic entrepreneur. That he gets up there, he doesn't really sound angry, just goes, and why are they upset with me? Just because I threw gasoline on the fire, the fire got bigger. And then he gives you that stupid look. He knows what he's doing. Fox knows what he's doing. And yet he continues to be allowed to slander libel and defame others with impunity. Okay. And this has happened before. In 1992, this author cited uh, a rally in the Rwandan city of Kabaya, like two years before their civil war. Hutu politician Leon, uh, Leon Mugacera told supporters that Tutsis were, quote, cockroaches. And he has that, quote, anyone whose neck you do not cut is the one who will cut your neck, end quote. Sound familiar? It should. Donald Trump used the same kind of language talking about uh, uh, migrants of color. His remark about shithole nations. Same thing. Hitler did the same thing. That's where they're getting it from, the Hitler playbook. You know, when you start to dehumanize a group that the majority doesn't know that much about in the first place, but they look different, they act different, whatever. When you exploit those primal fears and start to dehumanize groups, it's easy to turn those groups into the enemy. It's easy to commit horrible atrocities against them. It is a moral turnoff switch, and that's what these people are doing. Uh, Sudanese President Omar al-Bashir exploited the um, the schism between Arabs and Africans in 2012, he described his political rivals similarly. He said, quote, the main goal should be liberation from these insects and to get rid of them once and for all, God willing, end quote. Um, this is all, we've seen this before. And this is going on. So, for instance, um, in the U.S., ethnic entrepreneurs are, are thriving. All you have to do is turn on Fox. Lead on ethnic entrepreneurs, Tucker Carlson, in my opinion. You know, and this is really, uh, regardless of what might seem to be ex-Senator Roy Blunt says, that, you know, he tries to look like he's so civilized, the GOP really is the GOP of whites only. Let's get real. 
And according to this author, and I agree with her, the shift to a whites-only Republican Party, a white-dominated Republican Party, began in the mid-60s when the Civil Rights Act of 1964 passed, which basically tossed out all the Jim Crow laws regarding voting. And frankly, this is what drew Dixiecrat Dems to become, quote, Reagan Democrats a generation later. It's racism, nothing more. You know, when Reagan was coming up and the two Bushes, everybody kept saying, why are these white union guys voting against their own unions, voting against their own economic self-interest? Because these ethnic entrepreneurs had pushed the racist button and their white privilege emotionally, psychologically meant more to them than having a strong union so they could earn a decent living. <coughs> Excuse me. So that's really what it is. Um, and, you know, after the Voting Rights Act had been passed, um, voters in the 11 former Confederate states that had been Democrats for over 100 years switched parties. Okay, in fact, when Lyndon Johnson's uh, legislation passed in 64, he was, uh, he was quoted as saying to his special assistant, Bill Moyers, quote, I think we just delivered the South to the Republican Party for a long time to come, end quote. Now, understand this. At the time of Abraham Lincoln, the Republicans were anti-slavery, the Democrats were pro-slavery. So this isn't about any real uh, dedication to ideas. Not at all. This is about who's going to back my need, or their need rather, to have white, a white supremacist government. And then in 1968, Nixon capitalized on this with the Southern strategy, and he used what I call soft racist tropes, you know, law and order, and, and let's fight the war on drugs. And again, it got, you know, more and more um, uh, symbolic. But at the end of the day, those white voters knew what the code meant. It meant at the end of the day, people of color and other minorities, especially blacks, were going to be treated worse. And that's all they cared about. And again, they used coded language. Ronald Reagan shamed welfare queens. Welfare queens. George H.W. Bush, the elder, had the infamous Willie Horton commercial. You know, implying that blacks are all criminals, and they're not. George W. Bush, um, his campaign was accused of spreading rumors that John McCain had an illegitimate black child. Then came religion. They appealed to evangelicals, white evangelicals. Um, they did the pro-life position. You know, you have to ask yourself, how can these white evangelicals call themselves pro-life? They're anti-abortion, okay. But how can they call themselves pro-life when they're also pro-death penalty? And pro-war. Okay, because the whole abortion tied in with birth control thing has nothing to do with life. It's all about punishing women for wanting to control their own reproductive lives, period. Nothing else. And, you know, once again, this is how it came. And so when Donald Trump came along, even somebody as intellectually challenged as the Donald could figure out this was an easy exploit, an easy sell. Just was. And so Trump encouraged this ethnic factionalism, factionalism that is. Um, 
And, you know, he has had the most openly racist platform since the Confederacy. There's no guesswork here. And when there are a few blacks to come over to his side, he did increase his votes among certain types of black men. These were also black men that were misogynist. Okay, it gave them a voice to basically complain about independent women. Is, you know, this is all it is to it, nothing else. And Trump's really good at the ethnic entrepreneur. He's good at throwing gasoline on the fire, put bluntly. Uh, white women that consider, the, especially in the suburbs, consider themselves feminists, until they saw their white privilege being challenged. And instead they voted for Trump. Unbelievable. But this is what we're dealing with here. Trump is going to keep pushing no matter what. You know, I, I at this point I do not understand why Merrick Garland will not indict him criminally. There's enough evidence. They need to indict him. They need to say he's a flight risk because he is. They need to put him in custody until his trial. And really, many of his advisors, we're talking John Eastman, uh, Steve Bannon, Ivanka and Jared, the whole bunch of them. There's no guesswork here. And if they don't, he's just going to become more emboldened. Really that simple. So, you know, this is what we're dealing with here this week. It's a shorter show. Now, as for our jackass of the week, that one was easy. Tennessee State Senator Frank Nicely, he put his boot, big old boot in his big fat mouth, and will Senator Nicely see the light? No, of course not. You know, again, in my opinion, for whatever it's worth, the Civil War never really ended. It just morphed into something sneakier. And Trump voters may as well just admit they're Confederates. They don't believe in democracy at all. How many Republicans like Mike Lee, Senator Mike Lee of Utah, have said this isn't a democracy? It's a republic. Now, Senator Lee must think everybody's stupid but him because a republic is still a form of a democracy. It's not a direct democracy. It's representative, but it's still a form of a democracy. But Mike Lee was banking on the idea that y'all were too stupid to figure that one out. Keep in mind, this man is a pre- – Mike Lee is a practicing lawyer, a graduate of an Ivy League school, I believe Harvard Law. This is what we're dealing with here. And I chose to – this particular show – on Easter because there is a bunch of white Christians that just don't get it, all right? Keep in mind that when you go to church, first of all, there's no such thing as white Jesus. He didn't exist. There's no way in God's good earth that Jesus looked like a younger version of Brad Pitt. Did not happen. 
offseason probably looked more like Colin Kaepernick, you know, the football player who reintroduced taking a knee as a silent protest against structural racism. And God bless Kaepernick for doing that. And keep in mind, if I know about it, it's big because I don't follow football at all. The bottom line is this. White Christians that support Trump, remember, when you went to church today, you worship a Jewish man of color, period. Your racism and, yes, neo-Nazism, they're both linked, exposes you as foul hypocrites who cling to your unearned white Christian male privilege. And, frankly, you value your privilege more than your soul. I would say shame on you, but it would be a waste of breath because in order to feel shame, you actually have to have a moral center. Clear that too many of you are empty in that way. You're just moral trash cans. There's nothing there. Nothing there other than a childish tantrum on your part. Those of you who want to complain, you hate me, good. I welcome your irritation. I welcome your rage. I welcome your hatred. And I'm not afraid. Because every time you rage against somebody like me that is daring to speak truth to power, you are exposing your own hypocrisy. You're exposing your own ugliness. And as for that ugly monster of Mar-a-Lago, Donald. You bald. Get rid of the comb over. Get rid of that last shank of hope. You bald the doorknob. Deal with it. You're as bald as you are mentally deficient and morally deficient. With that, I say good night. And God bless us because we're certainly going to need it.